0: Hello, Sandlerton listeners. This is a sample episode of our other podcast, Deep Cuts, a deep dive explainer show where hosts and creators of Sandlerton, me and my friend Dave Baker, delve into the seedy underbelly of pop culture and uncover fascinating and obscure true stories that'll make you say, I can't believe I didn't know about this. And on this episode, we just so happen to be explaining the bizarre story behind the making of Sandlerton. So give it a listen. And if you'd like the show, you can subscribe to Deep Cuts by going to bit.ly.com slash Deep Cuts podcast with the first letters of each word capitalized, or you can check out the link in the show notes, or you can go to deepcutspod.com.
1: I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. And I'm Matt Harbert. Welcome to Deep Cuts, the podcast where we pick a topic and walk you through the ins, outs, and nitty gritty so you can appear like an interesting and idiosyncratic person at your next forced social function. Today's topic is... Sandlerton, an Adam Sandler musical. What is Sandlerton? Sandlerton. Well, it's something we made, or rather Andrew and Matt made. It's the entire Broadway musical smash hit, Hamilton, an American musical, sung by comedic actor Adam Sandler, or rather Matt doing an Adam Sandler impression. It was recorded and quietly posted online in 2017 as an absurdist bit based on an inside joke and sat there for years, largely unnoticed by anyone, and then slowly forgotten by its creators. Until the year 2020, when it went massively viral out of nowhere based on a TikTok and Spotify's 2020 wrap-up feature. So how did this happen? How does something posted on the internet years ago become a huge social media phenomenon out of nowhere without the people who made it even realizing? That is what we're gonna find out.
0: one, I am not throwing away my algorithmic placement in the distribution cycle. Here's a riddle. Why are people who grew up in the 1990s nostalgic for the Looney Tunes, a series of animated shorts created specifically to play in movie theaters before the feature presentation in the 1930s and 40s, which completely died off in the 1950s with the popularization of television, which lured animators away from movie theaters to produce lower-budget TV animation for a fraction of the cost and a much higher profit margin? Well, that's less of a riddle and more of a straightforward question. The answer to which being that, originally, TV used to be a handful of network stations that you could watch for free by hooking your television set up to an antenna. And at the end of the day, around 9 or 10 p.m., the channels would end their broadcasts and either play a marathon of infomercials, reruns, or just simply go black for the night. But in the late 80s and early 90s came the dawn of the age of cable television, where any company could create a TV channel and work with cable companies to offer it as part of a package where consumers received dozens if not hundreds of different channels by paying a premium. And not only that, but the programming on these cable channels was 24-7 and often hyper-specific to one genre or area of interest. It was a never-ending stream of content all day and night. This is where we got channels like Comedy Central, Discovery Channel, HBO, Nickelodeon, and Cartoon Network. However, early on in the beginning of these channels, they didn't have enough stuff To fill up a never-ending 24-hour stream of airtime. So the corporations behind these channels bought up tons of libraries of old shows and movies that they could endlessly rerun over and over to fill their program schedule until they could start producing more of their own original shows. This is why you could watch marathons of old SNL and Kids in the Hall episodes on Comedy Central, and also why kids growing up in the 90s were force-fed hours and hours of Looney Tunes cartoons, something that they should never even have been aware of on Cartoon Network. Since the beginning of human beings consuming art, we have been told what to watch, read, hear, or see by the Monoculture, a small conglomerate of critical authority figures, companies, and public personalities that spoon-feed our content to us. The radio, Oprah's book club, the Tuesday night primetime sitcom block, influential art critics and cultural intellectuals. A few people and companies have basically been saying, here, consume this specific stuff for hundreds of years. So other than the weirdo fringes of art and culture that have existed, mainstream pop culture has always been largely curated in this way, which is kind of weird when you think about it. Our cultural interests have always been arbitrarily dictated by the limits of shelf space, economic efficiencies of movie studios, publishing houses, record labels and TV networks, and what a couple tastemakers think is good. Those early days of cable TV were still part of the monoculture. Turner Broadcasting's economic decision to buy up the Warner catalog of animation in order to maximize viewership and brand build their cartoons-only channel, indirectly leading to a lost art form being reintroduced to an entirely new generation of kids five times removed, is distinctly capitalist monoculture at its finest. But the broadening of choice that cable TV brought in was also the early twinklings of something that would slowly grow and infect over the next several decades. The death of monoculture. The next big leap would be the massive popularization of the Internet in the late 90s and early 2000s. But the final nail in monoculture's coffin would be the dawn of the age of social media and algorithmically
1: served content. Look, I just want to say real quick that all of the kids who find Sandlerton on TikTok are going to have their minds blown by what you're saying right now. That's that's kind of what I'm going for. We're no longer limited by shelf space, there is an endless, nearly
0: unfathomable amount of things to watch, read, and listen to all at our fingertips at all times, and the number just keeps growing every day largely due to the increased accessibility of production tools to create and deliver art to the masses. There is also a large selection of distribution platforms to deliver the content to you, so you're no longer relegated to whatever the handful of radio stations and TV channels have to offer. But most importantly, because social media has created a global culture that connects every single living human being with an internet connection permanently, we no longer need any of these authority figures to tell us what to watch. We have formed large pocket communities of like-minded people that act as a multi-tentacled art exploration and dissemination machine. Hundreds of thousands of people all independently discovering new stuff they love and sharing it with the rest of their community. Authoritative control over culture is a thing of the past. In fact, there is such a staggering amount of stuff that we literally cannot even decide what to consume or even properly sift through all of it to discover the stuff that resonates with us. So these platforms have built intelligent AI algorithms that programmatically assess our behavior and then match them up with certain metrics to serve us a freshly curated list of the few select things that would specifically appeal to us. You likely discovered this very podcast in that exact way. We've gone so far into the direction of choice and decentralization that we've created billions of smaller, individual monocultures for ourselves, but they are determined by robots who know us in disturbing ways that we don't even know ourselves. In this way, we ended up discovering that, basically, people are freaks. When a couple of stuffy old men were making the decisions about what people wanted, it was all fairly straightforward and made sense. You watched sitcoms with a zany husband and wife when you wanted to laugh. You listened to arena rock when you wanted to jam. You watched slasher movies when you wanted to be scared. And you read romance novels when you wanted to fill the empty void of loneliness in your life. And people enjoyed that stuff, sure, but when we actually started letting people determine what type of stuff they really wanted, shit just got weird. Who would have known that the largest consumer of shocking, graphic, true crime stories of gruesome deaths and dismemberments would be soccer moms? Or that people were going to love footage of people's facial cysts being popped? This is the world in which our weird, extended, absurdist joke album, where Adam Sandler sings all two-plus hours of Hamilton, an American musical, was created. And also where it somehow, against any logic, went massively viral almost three years after it was posted. But before we can explain that, we need to go back to the beginning. Back in 2015, a photo of Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders and Run the Jewels member Killer Mike eating together at an Atlanta diner went viral. I saw this picture the moment it started making its rounds on social media while I was at work on my computer. And an idea immediately popped into my head to create a fake album art that combined the cover to one of Run to the Jewel's albums, as well as the iconic illustration of Bernie Sanders he used during his 2016 presidential campaign. I changed Run The Jewels on the cover to Run The Jews." After posting this and getting enough laugh face emojis, just kidding, we only had likes on Facebook back then, I then had the idea to record a short parody album that would take some of Run The Jewels' most recognizable songs and have a Bernie Sanders impressionist rap over them. I wrote all the Bernie Sanders specific parody lyrics with my roommates, Mike and Craig, recorded demos of myself rapping over the Run The Jewels instrumentals, enlisted my friend Matt, who had used his Bernie impression several times in the sketch group we were in, Recorded the songs and released "Run the Jews," a three-song parody EP on SoundCloud and YouTube. In retrospect, I wish I had called it "Burn the Jewels," which is a way better name. Uh, let's let's hear a little bit of that.
2: You are now listening to "Run the Jews." <laughs> fuck the polls. They can eat my dick. That's what the Trump. I don't fuck with Wall Street or those corporate chumps. Free college, something we supply to kids. You can all run naked backwards through a field of debts. Fuck the rich, I don't ask for shit, no super packs. They think they own the world, but I've spoken up and they don't run crap. Fold me in, I need no assist. You can pull support. I don't owe you shit. Trust me, I'm a donkey who operates as a moderate social. I
0: didn't actually know Matt that well whenever we did this. I that was kind of when I first started actually talking to you and, and hanging out with you to to make that. <laughs> I was just like, I was just like, hey Maddie Boy, Harbi Harby. Yeah, you used my
2: old name, Maddie yeah. Boy.
0: You want to, you want to, you want to jump on this track with your old boy, Papa Pricey?
2: Yeah. And you were no, like, I feel like, I feel like you're underselling it. I feel like I did know you better than, than we're, we're saying, but also that's in retrospect. And as I said, I have a terrible memory.
0: But Matt, what, what did you think when I had first like asked you to do that? Like, I don't even remember. I don't remember what I, what I did. If I messaged you on Facebook or what? Yeah, it was
2: probably a message on Facebook. Uh, I I just thought it was fun. You know what I mean? I
0: yeah. I mean that was that was pretty cool. I mean Dave Dave and I talk about this a lot. Um, I mean I think you know we we won't spend forever talking about this, but Dave and I talk a lot, not on the podcast, but just in in
1: general about this idea. Andrew, that- stop boasting. Yes, we're friends. Let's move Ooh. on.
0: <laughs> Davey boy, <laughs> oh, God. Ba- Bakey, old oh, Bakey. Oh,
2: you do that with everyone. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> but we talked about this idea that like you know we we've experienced in in our lives you know we're we're both people who are very passionate about making things and doing these things that we want to do and sort of driving things creatively and we've had frustrations in the past with surrounding ourselves or working with people that just weren't as dedicated to the things that we were doing as we were and kind of just feeling this frustration of like you know if if this if i wasn't like pushing this to happen it just wouldn't happen or feeling like people just aren't wanting to collaborate. So I just remember that when we did that, it was really cool because I feel like like nine times out of 10, whenever you ask somebody to do something with you, and it's just like a fun project, and it's not like a thing where you're paying somebody. And even sometimes when you're paying somebody, it's like nine times out of 10, it's probably not going to pan out. They're probably going to say, yeah, or sound interested. And then, you know, it'll slowly peter out. They'll stop responding to you or, and, and you'll just kind of it's just it's that very distinctly familiar feeling of coming to the realization that it's not going to happen and then just kind of quietly letting it go because you're not just going to be like what the fuck man like you said this so i remember that was it was cool because i whatever i forget why or how i did it or whatever but i remember just reaching out and being like hey do you want to do this and then you just did it like you came over and we recorded all the lyrics all the verses in in one night and then and i was, am
2: not yeah. i do not know killer mike At all. And you, I I can tell, you know, by doing the project with you that you were very familiar with the source material. So it was very interesting me struggling because he has a very distinct flow that is not like just doing like a comedy rap. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I was like, dang, this
0: is hard. I shared this in a bunch of rap, run the jewels, and political Facebook groups around the time of the primary election in 2015 and it ended up getting about 8,000 listens on SoundCloud and about 10,000 views on YouTube. Nothing special, but I was very intrigued by how effective Facebook groups, which at the time were new, could be at driving people to content. I tried to get some kind of attention to the EP by emailing a bunch of news publications and blogs, but ultimately nobody bit and it just kind of became a funny thing that we did. Matt and I did a couple other things together after that, such as a year later when I made a short film that depicted McGruff the Crime Dog in the style of a slick 1980s Michael Mann film, where Matt played a drug dealer.
3: What the fuck do you want from me, man? Gomez was running a new strain and there was a lot of it. Way more than your slumlord shitbag bosses could supply. Who's moving into Hyde Park?
2: I don't know anything, man. Who's a supplier? I don't see him. No one does. He likes to stay hidden. I talk to him through a proxy. Give me a name! Listen, this is all I know. I promise. He gives this to his guys on every drop. Some sort of calling card or something. Now please, leave me alone. It's not my fault. It's all your fault!
3: You're another filthy sputtering cog in the clockwork fuck scum that shutters underneath this city. What are you gonna do? Take a bite out of crime!
2: It's like this is your life
0: was once again another another situation where I was just like, what does he think about this? Cause because <laughs> you were just like you were just like, sure, yeah, I'll do it or whatever. Like almost kind of like a very blank slate. I wasn't sure if you were actually enthusiastic over it. It was just like, ah, like I like to do stuff and I'm up for a lot of things. Especially because a lot of the things that I do, they don't make sense until they come together at the end.
2: I think maybe you had test footage.
0: There was a makeup test of the throat ripping that we had done.
2: I don't remember. I just maybe it was after we shot it. But I remember seeing like the, it's very cinematic, this short. And I I remember seeing it and I was like, oh yeah, okay, yeah, I get
0: this. This short was featured in a couple film festivals, got nominated for best short in one of them, and got a decent amount of attention on social media with about 150,000 views on Facebook. But once again, it it just kind of died on the vine and became a filmmaking resume piece for me. Then in 2016, funny enough on a two-hour car ride from LA to Bakersfield, California to drop off the actor who played McGruff in my short, my friend put the original cast recording for the smash hit Broadway musical Hamilton, an American musical, and I became obsessed. I was a part of the endless throng of people singing every song in their apartment while they did the dishes, and were playing it over and over again in my office while I was working until I knew every single word. There was something about the song construction, the wordplay, the usage of lyrical and conceptual motifs and the way that the story was told, not only through song but also all of the intricate double, triple and sometimes quadruple entendre of musical references that aligned with character motivations and plot points that really resonated with me. What happened next was the beginning of all this. I'm sure all of you listening can relate to the distinct phenomenon of being alone in your car, stuck in traffic on a long drive or just running errands around town and how inevitably you'll eventually end up talking or singing to yourself and making some of the weirdest gibberish noises or saying some of the most insane things that would surely have you branded as a mad person if anybody ever heard you.
1: I just want to I want to stop here for 1 second because that is 100% me and not only is that me but I do that when other people are around, and I sometimes have talked to Andrew in gibberish for an ex- extended period of times that are <laughs> well beyond uh, socially acceptable. Totally, totally. But the weirdest thing about doing this podcast for me is that those stupid, weird gibberish things that I'll say to him have now become running bits in the show. Like the the certain words that literally didn't don't mean anything are like character names or are in-universe holidays or are all of these kind of like bizarre little kind of like hanging chads that are, it's almost kind of like a timeline of our friendship, which is like really fun and also really sweet and also just like so bizarre because nine times out of 10, I don't even remember them. Cause I'm not like, I mean, I am performing, but it's it's also just kind of who I am. So I'm just like yelling dumb shit at Andrew. And then like, he's kind of like a sieve that catches my like, Squamp jumps or whatever, you know what I mean? Like these <laughs> these dumb things that I say, and he will kind of take them and then build stories around them. It's so funny to me when those things pop up, because then it's like like it's almost like looking into a weird like Rorschach mirror, where you're like, oh wow, I really am a crazy person. <laughs> yeah, we're nuts, man.
0: In the grand chaos magic of the universe, for me that ended up being that I started singing Hamilton to myself in an Adam Sandler voice, an impression I can. Do pretty well if I slip into it organically and i am not too worried about the pressure of people hearing me. Why? I can definitively say that I have no idea. Since the album came out, many people have guessed that the connection is because Adam Sandler Hamilton perfectly fits syllabically into the same space as Alexander Hamilton, but I can guarantee you that that never occurred to me. Around this time, a video created by a marketing company for a whiskey brand had gone viral. It was a 45-minute Yule Log video for the holidays depicting Parks and Rec actor Nick Offerman sitting by a fireside silently drinking the whiskey, and that was it. I've worked in social media marketing and distribution for almost a decade now, so my job is to look at stuff like this and pick apart why it did or didn't work. And what I noticed about this particular video was that the key factor in its virality seemed to be the, yeah, it's actually just 45 straight minutes of him drinking whiskey in silence quality of it being shared strictly on the impressive novelty factor. I can't believe they actually put this out. It's just 45 minutes of nothing. And then I thought about the Bernie Sanders parody thing and how it had gained some traction by sharing it in these Facebook groups built around specific communities of people who would, in theory, be interested in it. And I had an idea. What if, just as a really weird extended exercise in conceptual absurdism, I actually recorded the entire two-hour Hamilton musical as Adam Sandler and released it online. Would people find that as funny as I did? Would people understand this Dadaistic, almost John Cage-esque experiment where the comedy comes not from parody lyrics where I make the Hamilton musical about Adam Sandler's life or career or whatever, but from the momentum of the droning repetition of song after song sung by Adam Sandler and the eventual hypnotic trance you go into after you continue to not believe it's still going. Wonder why it exists and ponder the very thought process that might have gone into someone making this. Eventually, you'd almost start to feel like an adventurer plunging further and further into an endless, dark, unexplored cavern, refusing to turn back because, regardless of how far away from home you stray, the answer might just be around the next corner. Mathematically, to me, it felt like it had to resonate in that way. It'd be like that Nick Offerman video, times a million. The moment anybody stumbled across it, listened to a couple minutes of it, and then realized it was actually the whole thing, they'd immediately share it, and it'd just be a snowball effect from there. I knew this would be the outcome.
1: I was wrong. Is Britney Spears being held against her will by her greedy father? Is Jared Leto a cult leader? Did you know that the director of The Dark Knight and Inception, Christopher Nolan that he has a secret brother who's actually a hitman? Have you ever heard of JJ Arms, the international secret agent and private detective with two
0: hooks for hands?
1: Did you know that Andrew W.K., the party rocker from the late 90s and early 2000s, is probably a fictional character? created by a performance artist.
0: Did you know that Chris Hansen, the host of To Catch a Predator, ended up becoming a YouTube con man and that the show To Catch a Predator
1: was created by internet trolls? These are just some of the topics we deep dive into on our podcast, Deep Cuts. I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. We're the hosts of Deep Cuts, a podcast where we delve into the seedy underbelly of pop culture and uncover bizarre and fascinating true stories that will make you say, I can't believe I never heard of this. This is a show about murder, fraud, trickery, triumph, theft, and the lies that somehow slip through the cracks of the world stage and go unnoticed by most.
0: But your intrepid boy detectives, Andrew and Dave of the Mystery Treehouse Investigation Agency, sniff out these compelling truths and bring them to light for you, dear listener.
1: Some of them inspiring, some of them heartbreaking, and some of them horrifying. No matter what, though, fascinating. And maybe they can help you gain a little more understanding and insight into the human condition, and yourself in the process. Just pause the podcast you're currently listening to and subscribe to Deep Cuts so you can catch future episodes of the show. Available every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Act 2. Six moments in history converging as one to make some idiot's content go viral. What a waste of chaos theory. The first smart move I made was to decide that I shouldn't try to record the Adam Sandler voice myself. My Sandler is okay and it goes in and out where sometimes I can't even do it, much like all my impressions. I'm the impressionist equivalent to Kel Mitchell's character in Mystery Men where I can only do them when no one's listening and I'm not thinking about it and just slip into one. Probably due to a lifetime of generalized anxiety surrounding speaking and having attention drawn to me because of a childhood stutter, but that's another episode. I thought of Matt, both because I knew he did a Sandler, but also because we had firmly established our creative relationship at this point as I come up with some weird music project and he does the voice. So I asked him and he was surprisingly up for it. He didn't really hesitate at all. I send him all the instrumentals for the whole musical and he just started slowly making his way through it. So I remember in this instance, I texted you and I don't remember the exact wording of it and I could pull it up, but uh, I basically said something to the effect of, hey, so I, I had this weird idea to record the entire Hamilton musical as Adam Sandler and then posted online in the format of hamilton if it was sung entirely by adam sandler which at the which was kind of capitalizing on the meme that was popular at that time where it was like x if it was x right so there was yeah. like redbone if it was sung by carly ray Jepsen or b movie but Every time somebody says B, it speeds up by 5% or whatever. So it was like, it was based on that trope. That's how this will exist as a meme. I think that made sense to you, even though the idea just seemingly was completely arbitrary or didn't make sense.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I knew the joke was that, that it was just the impression and nothing else. But I think it took a couple back and forths before I understood. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll sing a song from Hamilton Adam Sandler voice and change nothing. That's kind of silly. Uh, but I think it was a couple back and forths before I understood the scope of what you were asking me. There was like a, a, a curve of me being like, yeah, that sounds fun. Then you're like, no, the whole thing. And I was like... The whole thing. I was like, because know Hamilton that well, and I I didn't when I recorded. It. I didn't. I like learned the story of Hamilton when I when I uh, when I did it. But uh, uh, yeah. At first, I was like, yeah, I'll do it. And I was like, wait, two and a half. And I was like, oh, but there's multiple parts, and I don't know them. And I started listening to. Them. I'm like, this is hard. And I was like, but that is why it's funny. Like the excruciating amount of time that that will take to make this is the joke.
0: Yeah, which is which is like with the very specific idea that I wanted to do that was the initial anxiety or that was the initial uncertainty when you whenever you collaborate with somebody and you sort of it trust them to do in this case this insane amount of work i, I there was a lot of anxiety f- in the beginning of wondering what level of detail you'd put into it if it, it if when you send it back to me it would be like what i wanted it to be which is like in the the song where like the three Skylar sisters sing and they're and they're doing all these different harmonies and things like that and it like crescendos into this big moment with all three of them singing either this is going to be like you literally do all three of those parts plus all the background vocals as adam sandler with multi-layered vocals and it's like yeah this is exactly what i wanted or you sent me back this thing where like you record it in one take and you just like do one vocal track of adam sandler just hitting all of the main parts and not differentiating between the characters. For the insane amount of work this this was, that's really... I couldn't have really asked for more. I couldn't have been like, no, go back and do it better. So if you had sent that to me, it would have just been kind of like, I guess this is what it is. But-, but
2: it wouldn't have been worth doing if we would have... You know what I mean? It's like... Then it would have been like... I think if I listened to that, I'd tune out. I'd be like, oh, you know what I mean?
0: So up until the moment when you finally started sending tracks that was the purity test where i heard the first one and i was just like oh like yes it's the thing that i wanted it to be it's like exactly the thing i wanted it to be i didn't know that you'd never heard it until later on like i think after you'd already started sending them to me and then you told me that you never heard it or you might have even
2: told me after you recorded all of them i don't remember at what point no but i was like even if i knew a musical i wouldn't know all the parts But, uh, you know, I think any other, like, I can't think of another musical that would be harder to do than this. It's so incredibly specific. The rapping is so fast. It's not like, oh, you write the lyrics down and like the flow is exactly what, it's not like, you know, my name is Matt and I'm here to say, you know what I mean? It has very intricate, um... You know, rapping patterns, you know, and, and singing in the harmonies, it's, it's a dense piece of uh, material.
0: Yeah, especially if you've never heard it. Like, even if you didn't know the words, if you've heard it before, and if you're even, like, relatively familiar with it, you go into it with a frame of reference of knowing at least the rhythms and, like, this, the no, cadences no of things. No clue. But you had to, like, you had to learn every song from scratch.
2: Basically, I would, uh, I broke it up into 15 second segments. So I would learn, I would punch in every 15 seconds. So I would learn 15 seconds. You know, if it was more singy, it would be easier for me to do a broader stretch. But if it was a lot of rapping, I would like break it up into 15 seconds. I'm going to do like these two lines. I'm just going to learn those two lines, sing that go next two lines, sing that. So, so as I got further along, I had kind of like a workflow, uh, to, to get them out. Uh, but somewhere in the middle, I definitely had a fever dream. I will not listen to it again to figure out when, uh, I started getting sloppy, but I remember at some point in the middle, you were like, Hey, uh, just, uh, remember to, uh, Still oh, track, yeah,
0: yeah. yeah there, there is a couple. There's a couple in like the in the middle, like the, the 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 second act, like lost in the woods of your journey, where the 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 Sandler the Sandler impression starts to fade away, and then you're doing you're doing like a adult baby. <laughs> <laughs>
2: That that doesn't seem. But I mean, the hard thing about doing a uh, so the hard thing about doing a singing impression for someone that you don't know for singing is you have to apply what the audience knows about their talking voice to a song. And then there's the opposite. I think uh, I had once tried to do a Billy Corgan impression, but he was just speaking, and it didn't work because I could be like we don't eat, but he was just like hello, so I was like hello.
0: Several months passed like this, where I'd obsessively check our shared Google Drive folder every day to see if he'd uploaded any new tracks. And I basically started editing and producing the songs as they rolled in. I have to say here, while a tremendous amount of work went into producing this, going through and editing every song and my goal with producing it, and obviously all I was producing was the vocals because we we had the the instrumentals. A catalyst for this project was that they had just released the Hamilton instrumentals. But my, my goal with producing it was that I wanted it to sound exactly like the real thing. I didn't want it to sound like a crappy lo-fi or like, you know, low quality thing. It would only be funny to me if it sounded like Adam Sandler went into a recording studio and paid a bunch of money to completely redo this. And he was like bankrolling this weird passion project where he just wanted to record Hamilton. So a lot of work went into producing the songs to make it sound accurate to the original. And also multiple times throughout the recordings, you know, there were parts whenever you, you know, the the, the microphone would peak and you would kind of blow out and things like that. And because of the sheer Volume of this job, I I didn't feel comfortable really asking you to redo anything. So I also went through and very meticulously fixed and restored parts where your microphone blew out or you peaked or whatever, or there was like breathy parts. And I would, you know, I went through and fixed those things. I wanted, it, I want, I didn't want the cracks to show. And and there's still, I mean, if you listen to the whole two hours, there are some things in there that I just couldn't fix. But I did as best I could to go through and fix everything so that it did sound like a professional thing. But all that being said, none of that compares to the, the sheer amount of work that you did. Like, it was, it was my idea, and I put a lot of work into producing it, but you did 95% of this entire thing. There was a long stretch of time in the making of this where you were just, like, lost in the abyss of recording this, and I was just, like, catching up on Better Call Saul in Atlanta.
2: Well I did I did break it down into chunks so part of the you know a lot of the work process was like figuring out how to do it and then it was like how how can I do this as efficiently as possible because I was like keeping I was basically like ading my My session, I was like, "How long per song per minute? How can I get it to where it is? How much time is this going to take? So, I think I would spend maybe on a weekday i 'd spend half of my lunch break. I work at home, but I still give myself like a regular lunch break for structure uh, so i 'd like spend a half hour and usually in a half hour, I could get a whole song done if I really, really tried. Uh, but another thing to tell you about the production quality the mic I am currently talking to you on. Uh, just for this podcast is better than what uh, what I did. I think maybe I just didn't have the, the the stuff, but I believe I was on my belly with a 2004 MacBook, some really old MacBook uh, singing into a Zoom H4n laying on my belly. That is so. So if you want an image, just imagine me laying on my belly with a Zoom H4N in my hand, not even on a tripod to make sure I don't. That's probably some of the cracking. I probably like just hit the microphone.
0: Yeah, that's not the, honestly, that's not the image that I had personally either. <laughs> I. I'm,
2: I'm sure I did it in different, but I think maybe that might have been during the fever dream phase. I was just like, oh, God, lunch break. All right. Plug the mic in. Lay on my belly and uh, and get a crank a song out so that this gets done in less than six months.
0: And that was the next phase, like the initial anxiety of waiting for the first recordings to roll in to see like what level of actual effort you were putting into it. The next phase of it was the long cold winter of like he's never gonna finish this. He's not gonna he's he'll he'll get like halfway through it and then he'll stop sending recordings. I'll maybe like bring it up a couple times. And he'll be like, oh yeah. And then like, he'll maybe send one more and then like, he'll stop responding. And then eventually it'll just be that long process of me no longer feeling comfortable bringing it up. And then it'll just go away. And then it'll just never happen.
2: Yeah. I definitely felt that way. I I think before I figured out kind of a fast process to get through it, I was like, Ooh, but I, that's what I kind of thought before I agreed to do it. Like, I think maybe, I don't remember if it was a couple of hours or a whole day, but I was like, let me think. I think I took some time to think. Yeah, I about think you did. Before mm-hmm. I agreed to do it. Cause I was like, cause I think I did understand this, the scope of it.
0: It worked. It happened from start to finish.
2: It is. It's done. It's a thing on the internet.
0: Eventually, in early 2018, I posted it. Sandlerton, or as it's titled online for virality purposes. Hamilton, if it was sung entirely by Adam Sandler. It went up on SoundCloud and Facebook, but despite how many times I tried altering the pitch up or down by a few percent, which usually works, and re-uploading it, it kept getting blocked on YouTube for copyright violation. So, hey, random person who stole the Facebook version of Sandlerton and uploaded it to YouTube a couple months ago, which now has hundreds of thousands of views, I'm not mad, I just want to know how you did it. Email me at andrew at boygeniusmedia.com. Just as an aside for comedy geeks, this was the cover art for Sandlerton when it was posted. So this was the original cover art for it, which is the first thing I made. It was kind of like the whole idea was based around this cover art. I
1: was really proud of this. So Dave, describe for me what what you're seeing here. So it's the iconic, uh, simplistic uh, star formation silhouette from Hamilton. uh, But instead of Ha- the Hamilton logo, it says Sandlerton and it, the person is raising their fist. Is it, is, is that censored? Is it a, a middle finger? What? Why is that? What? I don't even know. What is that? Do you recognize? Do you know what's going on here, Matt? No. So this
0: is so this was the original cover art and I was very proud of it. But I realized shortly after a honeymoon period of thinking it was the most clever thing of all time, that nobody would know what it was, especially young people who aren't old enough to understand this. So
2: Opera Man.
0: Yeah, it's Opera Man.
2: It's a handkerchief.
0: Yes. So I got it. it, So it's like Dave said, it's the star formation with the top point of the star being a person like the Hamilton logo is, except for it's a silhouette of Opera Man who was a character that Adam Sandler played on SNL in the 90s. It was his most popular character. He would do it on Weekend Update, and he basically operatically sang news. And he had a wig that was like a sort of like a Prince of Valiant looking wig. And then he wore like a cloak and a tuxedo, he had a white handkerchief that he would like wave and flutter around as he sang. That was the entire visual idea that started the whole thing where I thought it was very clever to take Opera Man. So it's basically a silhouette of Opera Man. So it's like the Hamilton silhouette, but he's got that triangular Emo Phillips hair. And then his fist is raised, but it's got a white handkerchief draped over it. And I was like, this is some clever shit. But then I immediately realized that nobody would know what that was. And as much as it pained me to toss out this really clever idea, I replaced it with what the current album art is. What's the, is what's the, the real uh, one?
1: Yeah, the, the real bootleg Sandlerton thumbnail is the same, you know, iconic uh, star silhouette. But the top point of the star is uh adam sandler young adam sandler from uh the movie poster for happy gilmore right
0: yeah see and you and you know what it is you immediately know what it is Mm -hmm. and uh yeah so it's way less clever it's not even a silhouette it's just an actual photo of adam sandler from happy gilmore but you look at it and you know what it is shortly after it went up i honestly can't remember if it was my idea or if matt suggested it but somebody thought it would be good to also publish it as a podcast. I didn't think it would fly to publish it as an actual album on music streaming platforms like Spotify or Apple Music because of copyright, but podcasts are essentially an independently hosted feed that you are sharing directly with the listener, and the apps are just acting as a distribution platform without directly hosting anything themselves, so there's less strictness around copyright for them. This would be a pivotal decision for what was to come. Do you remember if that was your idea? I remember talking about it with you, like talking about the idea of doing it as a podcast, but I can't remember if it was because you suggested it to me or if I was just telling you about my idea? I I honestly can't remember.
2: I can't remember for sure. I remember us talking about YouTube and and Facebook. Um, But yeah, I I think just every once in a while we check in, we'd be like, is there somewhere else this could exist? You know, because it, it didn't it never caught fire like right after we released it like in our friend group and and a little beyond our friend group i felt like people were like what the hell but um but like it never really caught fire originally so i think we'd always like touch base we'd be like you know what i think it would be good on this
0: yeah. sandwich and only fans, sandwich only fans. <laughs>
1: yeah yeah uh i remember the when we were we were at dinner once and you told me that you were thinking about doing it i don't I don't know if you had had a conversation with Matt and were just like taking credit for it, but in the, at the dinner you told me that you were gonna you were thinking about doing that and you did not mention Matt and you didn't give him any credit and you basically just said I did everything and uh, it's actually me but I'm I'm pretending to be another guy.
0: Oh yeah, I've never <laughs> oh. that. Oh I yeah, I I'm, forgot.
1: I forgot to mention. I, I'm just an
2: Andy Kaufman-esque character. Yeah. that Andrew. I was Price literally
0: plays. gonna say I forgot. I forgot that I told you that Matt is my Tony Clifton. Yeah, yeah. So it was out, and I started the same process I did with Run the Jews of finding a bunch of Hamilton and Adam Sandler Facebook groups and posting in them, as well as emailing it out to places like the AV Club and BuzzFeed. Matt also got the word out on his end, and we were ahead of our time. The SoundCloud and Facebook versions ended up getting about 10,000 listens each, and the podcast ended up actually getting to the point where it was getting about to 500 downloads a day after a few weeks, likely due to people just stumbling across it in podcast apps and thinking it was actually Adam Sandler because We don't really go out of our way in the presentation of Sandlerton to actually clarify that it's an impressionist. Largely because I figured it'd be apparent to anybody that it wasn't actually Adam Sandler upon listening. But overall, it didn't take off and become some huge viral sensation. No publications got back to me, and friends who listened just kind of politely chuckled. I even have a distinct memory of telling Dave about it back in 2018 while we were having a dinner. And he was just kind of like, haha, fun. Well, anyway, and, uh... (laughs)
1: Uh, yeah that was that was pretty much my reaction yeah i mean i think it was probably a little bit more supportive than that but yeah more or less i was like oh that's cool yeah you should definitely do that that sounds rad i mean i don't what 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 was your dream scenario reaction for me to say like fuck yes i want to be in it too
0: like yes i wanted you to i wanted you to insist that i just delete all of matt's (laughs) recordings and let you do it instead
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like I was supportive. I was like, yeah, this is your, this makes a lot of sense. I think this is great. But also, I don't know that I was like that interested in Hamilton period. And also, I don't really like Adam Sandler, you know, so it was kind of like a, oh, yeah, that's great. Two things that I know a lot of people enjoy. And you should definitely do that. I'm, I think that sounds awesome. But I'm so supportive. What do you want me to? What do you, what do you want me to? For real, what, what should I have said? Should I have been, should I have been more, uh, with more gusto?
0: No, I mean, that's, that's the point. I mean, you, the, your reaction was completely par for the course of everybody's reaction. So I don't think there was a different or better reaction that you would have had. I think that was just, it was symbolic of the fact that this just kind of didn't do that. Like, and, and I guess as we're going to talk about it, and as this, as this, the rest of the story goes on, like, Kind of I I don't really focus on this too much in this story, but kind of a side note of it is this whole idea that you just can't manufacture this like as much as you are sure that something is going to resonate in a way like you just you can't you can't manufacture it. You can't predict that it's just out of our control, especially with how things work now. So the fact that I was going around and telling people about it and everyone was just kind of like at that time, we're just kind of like, cool, I guess. That that was just really, it was symbolic of this idea that like I was so mathematically sure that it was guaranteed to go big because of a, a, an equation that I had in my head and it just didn't happen. I held out hopes that it would gain traction for a couple months, but ultimately, just like Run the Jews or McGruff or any of the weird absurdist things I do that only appeal to me, I hung it up on the mantle and forgot about it. And then one day, early in 2020, so we're fast-forwarding a couple years at this point, before COVID-19 turned the buffet industry into that Tiger King meme where he says, I'll never financially recover from this. I checked the numbers on the Sandlerton podcast on a whim and noticed something weird. It had been consistently getting around 300 downloads per day for a while, but there had been a weird spike a few weeks prior where it got around 4,000 downloads in one day before going back down to normal. I kept an eye on it for a couple days, but nothing else happened, so I forgot about it again. But that would turn out to be the first faint sign of a heartbeat for something bigger. The issue with Sandlerton the first time around was that it had completely missed the Hamilton hype train. We recorded it at the height of the musical's popularity, but by the time we actually put it out, the craze had kind of passed. However, something else happened that we could never have expected. Because of a global pandemic that effectively shut down the entire entertainment and movie theater industries and had the entire world stuck at home with nothing to do but watch TV, streaming services both exploded in popularity as well as were in desperate need of actual content to put out to keep up with the growing need for it. And because of this, the streaming service Disney+, Plus, that had launched only a few short months before the pandemic, bought the rights to the only professionally filmed version of the original Broadway cast performance of Hamilton. The Hamilton film debuting on Disney Plus not only caused a huge renewed explosion in popularity for the show, as well as reassessments of some problematic elements of the show, but it also introduced it to a huge population of people who had never even heard of it because they'd never seen the musical in person and weren't the type to listen to musical soundtrack albums. We got a whole new and bigger opportunity to be noticed. A few months later, in May well into the pandemic, I decided to check it again. This time, months after that weird first blip, there had been another day where the podcast had gotten around 8,000 downloads, and then after a couple days, instead of going back down to 300, it held consistent at around 1,000 downloads a day. Something had happened. It had been put on a list or an article was published about it or something. I searched high and low all over the internet and was never able to find any kind of reason for the sudden jump. I chalked it up to having gotten enough downloads to make it into a certain section of iTunes where it had more visibility or something to that effect. But more importantly, I showed this to Matt, which I think renewed his interest in Sandlerton. At the time, he had been growing his own presence on Facebook and YouTube with comedy videos, and he thought it might be a good opportunity to repost Sandlerton and see if it took off. This was basically when I first kind of, I think you long forgot about Sandlerton. I don't think, I mean, honestly... I don't think you necessarily had much interest in it in the first place. I I mean, I think you, you...
2: no, I don't, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't categorize that as true. I think I, I think I had the same reaction to where I thought that it had a large potential to do well and that the window for it to do well had already passed. Like if it was going to do well, it would have already done well. Uh, But no, I was, I certainly wasn't uh, like, Oh, I forgot that six months of my life. (laughs) <laughs> where I where I sang uh, uh, Hamilton in a Sandler voice and my uh, neighbors were wondering if they should call the police.
0: Cut cut to you cut to you walking through the Pacific North Woods with a headband, getting harassed by Brian Dennehy, and having flashbacks to the times you were recording.
2: Yeah, exactly. I, I was very traumatized. Um, uh, yeah, so so. I guess that's my clarification. Is that no, I, I I never was like ah, I don't even remember what that is. I think I I think we're we're kind of on the same page as our ha, how it un, unfolded.
0: But at that point, I was like, this is weird. I don't know why, but this thing just randomly seems to have found some kind of slipstream and it's getting listened to. And so as a result of that I think cuz you were you were kind of building your your Facebook page at the time and you had had a couple other videos that had done well and kind of like legitimately went viral on their own so I think you know you you thought like oh like maybe I can maybe we can try to capitalize off of this and here's some free content that I've made that I can just post that n- my current audience has not seen yet because this was made years ago. And I,
2: yeah. And we'd never tried, you know, the other thing we were always dealing with was this, uh, uh, copyright wall. And I was like, well, we never really tried to post this on Facebook before we've tried YouTube and it got flagged. And, uh, have we tried it past the gatekeepers at Facebook? And, and I don't think we had, uh, I might be wrong. So it was like just another platform.
0: Yeah. So we did the, the Facebook video, and I, I mean, what what was the process behind that? I mean, I, I kind of, I'm a little blurry on it. We posted that Facebook video, and then like you, and then you, you basically had the idea to try to market it on TikTok. Like, what what was the process of that?
2: Okay, so the Facebook wave and the TikTok wave, I think, were months apart. If I'm remembering correctly, I don't think they happened at the same time. So the Facebook, the Facebook video got posted, and then I think taking out of your playbook because we had discussed this. You know, I was like, well, it's on Facebook video. It will already be good on Facebook. So I'm going to find every Facebook group that's about it. And I'm going to pitch them the Facebook version of the video because Facebook wants to keep people on Facebook. So pitching them a Facebook video, you know, if they share it, it will be shared on Facebook to keep everyone on Facebook. Uh, So, yeah, do we want to? So that was kind of a certain wave. And I think I put like $25 of, of ad but that isn't what did anything.
0: Yeah, it's like a micro boost. It's like trying to get it seated in the watch algorithm.
2: Exactly, and trying to get it kind of out of the circles it could get organically. So it did pretty well. I can't remember the numbers because people keep going to the Facebook video now because of TikTok. I think TikTok and Spotify are the main drivers. I hope I'm not skipping ahead in the narrative. Uh uh but um but yeah, so do you want me to talk about the TikTok?
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so whatever that whatever that process was between that, eventually after doing the the Facebook version and that one kind of doing decently, um, at some point you posted about on TikTok.
2: Yeah, so I didn't really understand TikTok, but I decided to kind of re-energize my interest in TikTok. And what I realized is that it doesn't matter how big your account is, really uh for your content to go viral and my my account was nothing it had maybe a couple hundred followers i hadn't taken it seriously at all but i was like oh okay i think i'm starting to understand how this works i think maybe if i just make like basically a quick explanation of it on tiktok it might do well i understand that like shorter is better so i made like basically a 15 second pitch of what it was where I where I just like kind of spelled out the process uh, in like four seconds and then showed like a couple three second clips and that went pretty I don't remember I don't remember what the view count is without looking at my phone but that that clearly went uh, viral especially compared to my TikTok account. Okay, so I I'm glad I didn't lie. I think the original if you probably added all of them up. So on TikTok you can like re. Talk about the same subjects, and they'll still go viral because of the way content's consumed there. But the first time I talked about Sandlotin, it got three hundred ten thousand views.
0: Well, then, I, yeah, the, what I was thinking was was right. Um, but yeah, so so you did that one, and that and that was crazy. That that just kind of happened out of nowhere, and it was like, oh shit, that was the first moment of it, and it went on to get bigger. But that was the first moment where it was like, Oh, this actually happened in the way that I had envisioned it happening two years ago, but nobody cared about it at that time. Like it was posted and nobody, nobody reacted to it in the way that I had just like mathematically worked out that it would happen. But they, that's exactly how it happened on TikTok.
2: Well imagine if you gave like the original Sandlerton 15 seconds and how much of a percentage of them understood the scope of it where like you watch the TikTok of it and it like tell like it spoon feeds kind of what the concept is it's like can you believe like it tells the story of doing it kind of it's like can you believe I did the whole thing and then I showed like a bunch of clips just to be like I did the whole thing. You know what I mean? And then people got it and then wanted to find it, which like I would have never guessed ahead of time. But in retrospect, seeing how it did, I'm like, oh, yeah, I can really see um, why TikTok's so cool. I hated TikTok. I'm really into it now. Uh, and it's not just because I did a couple things that did well, but like I enjoy consuming stuff on. It. I, I enjoy making stuff probably because we're in a pandemic, too. So there's, it's easier to make comedy when you're depressed and you, can, you only have to say something for 10 seconds.
0: After the TikTok went semi-viral, Matt noticed that a lot of people were asking if it was on Spotify. And so I went in and submitted the podcast to be added to Spotify's podcast library, which I hadn't previously done because Spotify didn't have podcasts when it first came out. Matt's TikTok had a noticeable effect on the podcast. On the day the TikTok blew up, the podcast got about 15,000 downloads. And then after that, it hovered consistently around five to 8,000 downloads a day. And then it died down again. Well, that was fun while it lasted, but it once again didn't really take off into some kind of huge thing like I'd always hoped it would. But it was a brief blip of interest by a couple hundred thousand TikTok users. And then, out of nowhere, most likely due to Matt's initial TikTok, a huge TikTok influencer posted a video of herself listening to a portion of Sandlerton and just laughing in mid October. That's all the video was just a clip of Sandlerton playing in the background while she held the camera to her face and laughed. That's the TikTok looking through this person's TikTok. Uh, it seems like she is an influencer of listening to things and holding her hand to her mouth and laughing. That seems to be, <laughs> be what her brand is. It um, makes sense. Yeah. But that's what this is. It's, it's, she's in her car. She's listening to Sandlerton and she's just laughing. And that's what the TikTok is. This TikTok has over two million views. I did not uh, hear that. Twelve thousand comments, twenty seven thousand shares, and you know, it's all—it's tons of comments. I mean, I, I find it very fascinating that this is the thing that like got it going. It's already fascinating that this whole thing started with you just pitching it in a TikTok. Like, I would have never—I I work in in social media marketing, and I don't think I would have ever thought of just doing that. I don't think I would have ever thought to just be like hey, I did this thing. Here's like a couple second clips of different songs. Like I don't I don't think it would have ever occurred to me to just do something that straightforward. And it really worked. So that's already fascinating to me. But this is even a step further where it's just her listening to it and laughing and like her reaction and her laughing is what sells it emotionally. You watch this and it's like her reaction is what's selling it to you because you, you, you just like you want to share in that emotional experience with her. And it makes it not that just listening to it by itself might not have also sold people on it, but the added thing of like this person who they follow, who they are kind of a fan of or whatever, having this like extreme remote emotional reaction to it just like sells it of like, I want to go to there is, is essentially the the reaction that you have to this.
2: Yeah. and the And the caption explains the entire thing. The caption is, I found the entire Hamilton musical sung by Adam Sandler. So like you're seeing the reaction and while you're like enjoying that, you get the kind of deal of what it is just by reading.
0: And it and it invites you in because, you know, if, if, well, I guess on, on TikTok, the sound is on automatically, but if this was posted on Facebook or something like that, even if you didn't have the sound, that text along with the reaction would compel you to turn the sound on. The TikTok has 2.2 million views. And as a direct result of the day it was posted, the podcast started getting 30,000 downloads per day for a solid week until finally settling down to a consistent 10,000 downloads per day. This happened right around the time we were putting out the Chris Hansen trilogy, so I was honestly way too distracted with that to even really care about this. It was just this strange, surreal thing happening in
1: the background radiation of me desperately trying to edit those episodes. If you're not if you're not familiar normal episodes of deep cuts are we do really exhaustive explainers about different subjects and one of them is we did three three hour episodes all about the interest intricate web of lies and deceptions that chris hansen the former host of to catch a predator has uh woven for himself and it's fascinating and and very interesting i didn't
2: know he was like a disgraced uh, guy i only knew like the general gist of what he his show was
0: yeah well there's three episodes (laughs) that 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 can explain it to you this was all happening um kind of in that way that you want it to happen where you're just like a couple things are pop off at once so you're you're not putting all your eggs in one basket i I could see myself a couple years ago getting really fixated on this and like just watching it every day and just being like oh is it is it going to get bigger like and and like the ebb and flow of it and being like obsessed with like, oh no, the numbers are going down. Oh, now they're going up. So, because I can I can be very hyper obsessed with data, um, especially on a day-to-day basis like that for things that I, I make. So it, it's good that I was preoccupied with something else or else that might've been a very unhealthily obsessive thing for me.
2: I think most people on social media understand the posting something and being like, did people like it? Oh, people liked it. It's going to get liked more or nobody liked it. Think, think we've all turned into weird uh, hug bots.
0: So yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that was the beginning of the big jump. And from that moment on the podcast, which I, you know, I, I can't stress enough that this thing was out for two years where just like nobody was listening to it. It was just like getting weird little like breadcrumbs of people just kind of like listening to it out of curiosity while stumbling across it in some list somewhere on iTunes and then just being like oh okay um but nothing significant enough to take it off anywhere and then 2 years later suddenly it's going huge like it's this thing is getting this thing is getting 30 30,000 downloads a day and then even when it cooled off it was still 10,000 downloads a day for this thing that was 2 years old and for 2 years got nothing that was the beginning of just it was just very surreal for that to just happen in a protracted way all this time later
2: yeah. Cause that's, I mean, you work in social media that almost never happens. Like it's it, usually it's like the day you post it a week later and then it just, uh, long tails after that.
0: Yeah. There's, there, there's so much stuff going on on a daily basis. And also because of that, there's a psychological phenomenon, which has a name and I can't remember it now, but this, there's a psychological phenomenon that people, once something is like older than, cause you can see the dates when things are posted on most, most social media platforms, and there's a there's a phenomenon where if something is older than a week, people psych- psychologically just become disinterested in it. Um, it's not true across the board, but f- especially for like viral content, like people will look at those dates, and there's some kind of there's some kind of like endorphin hit or whatever, some kind of chemical reaction where you see that date. And if, it, if it's like within three days, you're just like, I gotta see this. But if it's, older than, if it's older than a week, you're just like, oh, this is like some old thing that doesn't matter anymore.
2: But I think that's why no one watches taped football games. They're like, oh, I taped the football game. It's like, no, what was the score?
0: Yeah, it's that same phenomenon. This almost felt like Sandlerton had finally hit the mark I was hoping for it to since day one. At the time I told myself it had finally gone viral, albeit in a way that I could have never anticipated. If you had told me in 2018 when we posted it that it would eventually go viral amongst a bunch of Gen Z TikTok kids, I would have been like, what do any of those words mean? Through a combination of turning Sandlerton into a podcast so we could take advantage of algorithm boosts on major podcast platforms, Matt having the idea to post a TikTok about the project, and the renewed popularity in Hamilton in general, this weird, weird thing we made had finally gotten noticed and appreciated the way that we wanted it to be. The reaction was exactly what I wanted it to be, hundreds of thousands of people listening and hypnotized disbelief and then sharing it with each other while screaming in all caps, IT'S THE WHOLE THING! But then, just like every time, the wave crested and it fell. It kept getting around 10,000 downloads a day, but there were no new spikes, no new TikToks, no BuzzFeed or AV clubs picking it up. It was once again fun while it lasted. Something else I want to stress, which I, I told you a couple days ago, Matt, is it's crazy to me that throughout all of this this has still never been picked up by a blog or a news site like this is all completely word of mouth and algorithms yeah this has never been posted by like this is never there's never been a buzzfeed article that's been like some guy recorded all of hamilton as had adam sandler like it just hasn't happened if you if you google search sandlerton or hamilton sung entirely it's just all it's all posts of people and the links to the original sources on SoundCloud and stuff, and there's just no press talking about this whatsoever, which is not usually how these things happen. Usually these things go viral because it it starts out being posted by some lower-hanging um clickbaity type news sites and then if enough of those post about it then the next rung up are like oh this is a thing that we should be posting about because everyone's talking about it and then they post it and then it eventually makes it all the way up to like the buzz feeds of the world and then it becomes a big thing um and this just never happened with this it's like really big but it's also like hidden underneath like the the f- like the fog of the of of the internet in a way in a weird way.
2: That might be part of its appeal, I don't know.
0: Yeah. And then, a few weeks ago in mid-November, we were hit in the face with a reaction we hadn't seen in any of these previous spikes. New people were posting TikToks reacting to Sandlerton. People were talking about it on Twitter. A huge YouTube influencer named Alpha with 2 million subscribers posted about it on Twitter, and this tweet in and of itself went viral. A friend texted me a link to a WWE wrestler named Austin Creed who tweeted about it, and this tweet went viral. If you search the hashtags Adam Sandler Hamilton or Sandlerton, there were literally hundreds of thousands of tweets of people saying some version of I found the entire Hamilton musical sung by Adam Sandler or sharing a link to it and saying it's the whole thing or I now bestow upon you my curse, which is a weird recurring thing where a lot of people are are basically like saying like this is a cursed item and like they're passing it on to people like the ring the videotape and the ring basically
2: yeah there's a lot of uh there's a lot of watching it there's a lot of appreciation listening and there's a lot of hate listening and i'll, I'll take either
0: i checked the numbers and we had over 1 million downloads on spotify alone in fact
1: <laughs> It's so
0: stupid. <laughs> yeah, it was, and it, it blew my mind. I was like, "What the fuck?" Like, I did, <laughs> I this this like. This happened out of nowhere. Like there was months back in 2018 where I was like waiting for this to get to gain traction and just every day like disappointed over and over again. And then even during this like earlier spike back in July and October or whenever Matt posted the TikTok and then this person it was kind of like watching it and seeing it and kind of like being like is it going to is it going to keep going up or and then it just kind of not really over a course of weeks and days and things like that. And then this just like came out of nowhere. Like it just, it was it literally, it wasn't like I noticed a small thing. And then like this ballooned over like a couple days or a couple weeks. I hadn't thought about Sandlerton in a while, in like a cup in like a month or maybe, or maybe more whenever the, the girls TikTok had come out. I hadn't thought about it again in a while. And then the next time I thought about it, there's thousands of tweets about it on Twitter and the, the podcast has a million downloads. Like, it's just, it was just there. It was like, it was as if it had
1: always been there. I love it. I love it. I think that there's something so kind of, um, whimsical about that. That's so fun, you know? Cause like, that's what you dream, you know? That's, that's when you're like, you know, Matt, when you're like in your basement on your, on your belly recording into your fucking yeah. 2002 <laughs> laptop, you're like, a million people are going to listen to this. It's going to be amazing. They're all going to laugh. And it's going to be great. And of course, nothing, no, nothing like that ever happens. But as a creative person, you have to, ha- you have to embrace those visions of what your possible success could be. You know, you have to. You have to go out into the desert with a with a positive mindset or else why else would you be fucking making this? Like you're not a you're no person that endeavors in any sort of creative field is an inherently cynical person Um, You get that instilled in you over years of being beaten down and rejected Um, But it's just so funny that it it's had this very long You know arc and that it it climaxes. I don't know why that was so that's so funny to me but a million downloads on an Adam Sandler redoing fucking Hamilton musical is just so, it's so stupid. Yeah. I I love it it so
0: much. It shouldn't happen. It's just like, it's like this, it's a circumstantial byproduct of this huge machine where we've built these algorithms to serve people content, you know, to help disseminate the massive volume of content that exists on the internet And to try and keep people on your website for longer, because that's the whole point of the algorithms and the recommendation engines is like, we want to keep the time on site as high as possible. So we're going to lose people if they're just not finding stuff that they want. So we have to figure out a way to give them things that they want before they even know that they want it. And so they've been developing these algorithms. And as a circumstantial afterthought to that weird shit like this happens, like they didn't build those algorithms to show a bunch of people Adam Sandler singing Hamilton, they sh- they build these algorithms to show people, you know, vlogs of famous YouTubers talking or explainers of some nostalgic thing or, uh, you know, people making weird viral short films where Superman is wearing a GoPro and stuff. It's like it's made to show people that stuff. It's not made to show people this weird bullshit. That makes no sense, but it's the the robot can't tell the difference. It's just like, well, it says that you like this stuff and this thing mathematically is all that stuff. So here you go. It was like this. It, I, I just it, what comes to mind is this weird Disney original movie from like the early or mid 2000s that was about a mermaid that became a that got turned into a regular human and there's a scene or maybe aquaman? She, maybe she Are was an a- aquaman maybe Beast she was in an- momoa N- yes exactly uh or maybe i'm maybe it was an alien i'm I, it's some it was some disney original movie and like the whole the character the alien or mermaid or whatever she was she's that quintessential character where like she doesn't understand earth things and so they're making food for a big meal for all these people at a party or something like that. It's all these different hors d'oeuvres and snacks and foods or whatever. And then she says like she says something like, you know, this is this is not the efficient way of eating all these foods. Why don't you blend them all together and just drink it like a smoothie or something like that? And like she just thought like you have all these foods, you want to eat all these foods and you want to get them into your body. The most efficient way to do that would be to mix them all together and then just drink that as like one thing. It reminds me of that where like the algorithm is just like it has no idea that somebody who listens to Hamilton, it's just like you listen to Hamilton. Here's a Hamilton thing. Listen to this. And but in this case, as opposed to the the, you know, the 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 metaphor or the as opposed to the comparison with the weird blender food thing, the end result of that is disgusting and you would never want to drink that. But in this case, even though nobody would have ever asked for this in a million years, they hear it and they're just like,
2: fuck yeah, I'll take it. Or I hate this, but we'll still share it to say, what the hell is this? I'm so angry.
0: Well, that's the thing though. It's the thing we were talking about before that I kind of alluded to coming up later is that it's, I think a lot of people seemed to like it and be entertained by it, but in the macro narrative of it, it's less about liking it. And it's more about sharing it as a experience with people. And it's that, it's that, it's that phrase of like, it's the whole thing. I can't believe this is, this exists. It's like sharing an emotional experience with somebody. It's less about like, listen to this thing because it is the quality of it is good. And I enjoy it. And I'm entertained by it. And it's more of this thing of like people that I'm friends with. I have found this weird fucking thing. And I'm like a messenger. I'm a harbinger of this weird, the dregs of the internet. <laughs> yeah. I ex- I exist in your life as this messenger for the strange and the esoteric. And here is my latest offering. Look how weird this shit is. Like that's, it's like, it's, it, it, it's like a, it's like a cat bringing you a dead bird to your <laughs> to your back door. That's that's what it is. It's a when perfect you, metaphor. Yeah, when you, when you share this. In fact, over 93% of all the Sandlerton podcast downloads were coming specifically from Spotify. More friends were texting me about it. My wife saw one of her random Facebook friends commenting on a post saying, I don't like Hamilton. I've only heard a couple of the songs plus about 30 minutes of the Adam Sandler one. You could almost say there's a Sandlerton Twitter at this point with thousands of tweets about it and in-depth back and forth discussion. It went from hey, here's this weird thing we made to, you were the guys who made Sandlerton? So what happened? Well, after digging around in the comments of TikToks, Matt figured it out. In mid-November, Spotify released their yearly Spotify Wrapped, a feature on their app where they show you all the music you listen to the most throughout the year, as well as some interesting information like the number of minutes of each song or band that you listen to, what your top songs were, etc. And this year, they also incorporated podcasts. And at the end of Spotify Wrapped, they also recommend other artists and podcasts you might want to listen to based on your results. And guess what? Spotify Wrapped 2020 recommended to all the millions of people whose top music they listened to this year was the Hamilton soundtrack. Hamilton, baby! We got it. We got a direct endorsement from Spotify that you couldn't even pay for. You probably probably cost probably cost hundreds of thousands of dollars to get Spotify to directly advertise your podcast or album or whatever to all of its users on one of the biggest features it has and it was just like you listen to Hamilton how about this weird shit you listen to Hamilton take a look at this you listen to Hamilton it looks like Hamilton all these people and that, and that and that's how that's how it happened no no uh, no BuzzFeed article no fucking Jake Paul being like you gotta listen to this thing guys. No endorsement from Will Smith. No anything yet. Yet, yet. no anything. It's ju- it was just like a robot accidentally showed it to
1: people, which is so so fucking depressing. On one level, like you you know what I mean? Like you work so hard, you spend months of your life working on these things, and then it's all up to the whims of like fucking C three PO. Well, Andrew, you have you have kids as
2: well, so uh, I don't know how strict you are about screen time. But uh, uh, occasionally I'll see uh, Natalie uh, having the iPad in her hand and like the video she's watching is just called like Paw Patrol Super Force Mystery Box Open Slime. Like it's just keywords.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's that's a whole bigger discussion of like children are being raised by like a fucking SEO filter where it's just like YouTube, like people are just gaming the algorithm by keyword loading these videos, and then they're just being served to kids in in playlists.
2: Yeah, it's not even English. It's like it's so obviously keyword loading. It's like it's
1: not even trying to be discernible by a human being. Twenty years from now, we're gonna we're gonna be living in the that Star Trek episode Darmok and Jalad at Tanagra, where the alien species speak in metaphor. Except it's only gonna be SEO keywords. You know? Yeah. For sure.
2: I think so. I feel like people younger than us have a healthier relationship with technology than we do. And I think people our age are actually more addicted to technology, or at least aren't naturally adaptive to it cuz i feel like people my age i feel struggling with technology not like understanding it we all understand it uh uh but like younger people seem to emotionally deal with it better or just like yeah i did a snapchat no i'm not on facebook i just do it with my friends i don't obsessively check it but i feel like people my age obsessively check it
0: yeah it's like people older than us like our parents like they just they have trouble understanding the internet at all. And, yeah. at all because they, you know, they didn't grow up with it. So it's like an, it's a thing that was introduced to them in their adulthood. And also for several years in the beginning, it was just like a toy. Like people didn't think of the internet as like, it was, it was just a, a communication. Yeah. It was device. just, it was just a toy for nerds basically where we, we were born in, we were, we were, we were, we were born into it. We adopt
1: you nearly adopted the internet. Um, Uh, oh man it's 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 literally been years i feel like other than the halloween episode where bane made an appearance it's been a long time since since bane has shown up in the podcast
0: but yeah we were born into it so it's a weird thing where we we understand it because we were we grew up around it we have we have a much greater control over it but i think in addition to that we also were kind of like the guinea pigs of it, and because of that, there's so, there's a lot of there's a lot of addiction to the technology that like to grow up and spend your whole fucking childhood like sitting at this big machine in the corner of your room trying to desperately download fucking videos and songs at like at like you know with 56k modems and you're having to get off the internet every time your you know parents wanted to use the phone. After all that time to now be in an age where it's like, here's this fucking thing that can do everything that you were trying desperately to do for your whole teenage years in like a second. We're just like, we're addicted. We're like, we fucking mainline it. We're just addicted to the same because it represents this thing that we were trying to do our entire lives. That was such a struggle for us. Whereas Gen Z, they're just like, they're, they're born into the age of this faster technology and, and social media and these algorithms so i think in the way that our parents don't really understand technology and computers and the internet we don't understand a healthy set of boundaries with technology and the internet and then gen z do more they're more skeptical and they hold it at more of an arm's length because it's been so available to them and that's why stuff like snapchat exists like that you know that's why snapchat was created because all these all the gen z kids they were like, I don't want all of my stuff like posted publicly where everyone can see it and it exists forever. And they prefer this idea of like anonymous and person to person and your content just disappears after 10 seconds. Like they prefer that because they understand more than we do even that like you don't want your fucking uh, technological footprint to exist on the internet forever.
2: And it's impersonal. It's more personal to be like, you know, to just text your friend a silly picture, you know, as like a, what, I I don't know the terminology, like, you know, a story that disappears on Snapchat. And then it's just like, it's like, yeah, I'm just flirting with you or we're just having fun. We're just friends. It's not like, you know, a Facebook post where you're doing what we're doing, where it's like, oh, how many likes did it get? Is it trending? Blah, blah, blah. Because they understand that that is unhealthy.
0: (laughs) So that's where we're at. And honestly, it's still going. The podcast continues to get tons of downloads, people keep posting about it on social media, and some cast members from Hamilton have even heard it and posted comments about it. It seems like the only way it can get bigger is if Lin-Manuel Miranda or the Sandman himself finally hear it and respond. But honestly, that would just be icing on this strange, surreal, decidedly 2020 cake. This isn't meant to be a brag about this dumb thing we made going viral, but rather an opportunity for us to explain the moment-by-moment anatomy of how things do go viral on social media in the modern age, as well as a reflection on how surreal and strange things are in our modern world of algorithms and recommendation engines. That something like this could go massively viral despite having no real value other than its conceptual absurdity, and that it would find its way to millions of people, not by word of mouth like other types of weird gonzo content from the old days, being passed around in VHS circles and on message boards or through tape trading, but rather sent to all these people by a robot that did a math equation and determined that it would be something they'd all be interested in based on their specific behaviors. It's a brave new world. So what happens next? I don't know, but
3: I'm willing to wait for it.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode. You should definitely go like the Facebook page for the Deep Cuts pod because we do lots of cool video content on there that you'll be sure to like. Also, please join our Facebook group.
0: That's Deep Cuts podcast on Facebook and the Deep Cuts podcast Facebook group. Also follow us on Instagram at Deep Cuts
1: pod. So one of the things that I've been thinking about when we've you know, been talking about this whole thing is a couple years ago, I like, I had my version of this, which is, you know, when I'm not your intrepid boy reporter podcast host, I'm a cartoonist and I make comics. And, uh, and so a bunch of my friends and I kind of did our version of a bootleg, weird, dumb, conceptually absurdist pro- art project where we redrew Watchmen page for page, panel for panel but just really badly. So like some people drew it with their left hand, some people did like 15 seconds a page, some people slavishly recreated the pages, some people used photos, you know, basically everybody could do whatever they wanted. It's probably about 10 of us. And, um, you know, I kind of put it together and uh, actually I've got a copy right here, hold on. And so, you know, it's like, it's like, it's Watchmen. Okay. You know, it's watchmen watchmen, but it's yeah, it's called shitty watchmen and a very a very similar thing happened to us where the the book itself, you know, I Printed a bunch of them and I sell them at conventions and online and it's definitely not legal And if DC Comics ever finds out I'm definitely gonna get a cease and desist order but until then it's quite frankly paid for a lot of convention appearances and made a lot of really good connections. And I got to meet Dave Gibbons, the artist of the original watchmen and gave him a copy and he was super nice. And, um, supposedly, supposedly Alan Moore has one, which is nuts to me. Um, but it didn't happen in the same way that your guys happened where it was algorithmically. It was, be, partially because the comics world is so small, it was all word of mouth and it was almost overnight where like I posted a link to it and then all of a sudden Everybody was ordering them we had like, you know hundreds and hundreds of orders on my website and you know it's uh, It was posted a tumblr and it had all these, you know, whatever uh, Tumblr bullshit, you know what I'm saying? Um, but the thing that I found myself thinking about while we were discussing all of this is after the, the wave of success and after the, oh, I did that thing, I feel like as creators, there's always a kind of push and pull where everybody immediately associates you with this thing where some people are very excited about that and they're glad to have that success and, and other people kind of find themselves pushing against it and being like, yeah, that's something I did in the past. This is what I'm going to do next or whatever. And I'm, I'm just curious about your relationship with that. Um, because I know mine has definitely <laughs> waxed and waned in, over time in different ways. The difference between
0: the, the the 90s nostalgia act band who will happily play their one hit wonder song that was on the radio then as many times as you want versus the one that refuses to play it ever and doesn't want you to even acknowledge it and wants you to listen to their new album.
2: Yeah, I, I think you, yeah, you do. I want to be associated with like Sandlerton and. Uh like in a way where like oh do I want to be like when people think of Matt they think of and I don't even know if the way it went viral is that associated with me I think like most of the TikTok uh reaction when I post about it is oh that was you so I I think like almost the project has a, a and of course I I whenever that happens I I credit Andrew I don't say yes that was all me uh, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm not worried about that. I mean, uh, I don't know if you guys know what an automaton is. Uh, I played a silly instrument on America's Got Talent to try and get some cheap airtime. I only ended up on the show for like 12 seconds. But no, I have no shame. If If I can get more people aware of me and my dumb brain and my dumb ideas and the way I perform, I will gladly take it. And if people want to hang on for long enough to see the dumb other stuff I'm going to do, then then I'm more than happy because I am just somebody no one's heard of uh, at this point.
1: Right. Yeah. I suppose that in some ways is the uh, the golden chalice that you only can drink from once you have rich people problems. Uh... Yeah, I yeah, I don't worry about any of that.
2: You know, I do normal like actor day to day stuff and. Audition for stuff so it's not like changing whether i'm gonna get a co-star on whatever show
0: yeah i think i think uh i think stuff like sandlerton or uh shitty watchman or shitty dark knight or even some of the like goofy comedy videos that you do on social media matt i think they're they're kind of the perfect version of that where i don't think that they could ever i don't think that what they are could ever necessarily eclipse any of the other things that we're trying to do like I don't think that I, I don't think it's possible for you to ever become like exclusively known as the shitty watchman guy in a way that would just eclipse anything else you're doing. I, I just I can't see that becoming a scenario. I think no matter how viral or popular that thing became because of the novelty of it and the absurdist quality of it, Obviously, there's going to be a lot of people that might be interested in that and not interested in other things that you're doing because they just like the sort of weird joke of it or whatever. And they're not interested in reading like legit indie comics. Um, but for the people that would be interested in other things that you're doing, I think it could only ever serve as a gateway. It's it's a thing that could just couldn't eclipse other things that you're doing. And I think that Sandlerson's the same way where it's just it, it's it's not a big enough concept. That it could eclipse our other work Um, like something like, you know, I've I've jokingly referred to this on the podcast several times, but as much as I've been jokingly referring to it, it's a real thing that I've thought. Um, But I've referred to the the Carly the Carly Rae Jepsen effect where her first song, Call Me Maybe, was so big and so popular that it almost kind of like it was too big and it kind of sucked the air out of the rest of her career because she had this huge kind of novelty pop hit that became so ubiquitous that the people who loved it loved it and then they got sick of it because of how much airplay it got. And the people who hated it absolutely hated it and they only hated it more as it got overplayed on the air. So whenever her next album came out, which was a complete departure from that. And it was actually a much more sort of mature sound. And it was a departure from that kind of bubblegum radio pop that she, that that song was. And to a lot of those people, they might've actually appreciated that album a lot more than their idea of who she was as an artist. But because that song existed, there's probably so many people that just would never in a million years give that Album a try because they're just like oh that call me maybe girl fuck that that's that song sucks and they would never even listen to the new song the album so you know the the album was kind of like a weird sleeper kind of didn't do that well and you know it it's got it has like a cult following as opposed to being a big hit follow up to the first album that she had and I think that things can be like that there's there could be something that just so it's just becomes so big that you can never escape the event horizon of it and that's probably that's probably kind of like a a shitty thing for certain artists where um i was actually, there was an interview with uh the uh the, the lead singer of Fountains of Wayne uh who are a band that they had that big hit Stacy's Mom which was like a huge once again a huge like novelty radio pop song um but they're actually a really great band if you like that kind of music and they have a lot of great songs outside of that. But, uh, and, and uh, the, the, one of the key songwriters in the band, Adam Schlesinger, uh, he was the bass player and he also basically wrote all the songs. Um And he also, uh, he was, he was a writer for television and film. And so he wrote the music in that thing you do, uh, including the song, that thing you do. And he also co-wrote all of the music in crazy ex-girlfriend. And he he passed away from COVID. He he was like, he was one of the first. Oh, um, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he died. I remember uh, reading back, that. Back in like April. Um, And the lead singer Fountains of Wayne was doing an interview relatively recently where he was like, I didn't want to do Stacy's mom. And I warned Adam against it because I knew that it was going to be huge. I knew it was like, it was just a, it was a hit. I knew it. I think we all knew it. But whereas they were really excited about it being a hit. I was terrified that it was going to become this thing that we couldn't escape. And that's kind of what happened. That song came out and we were only ever known for Stacy's Mom, which is this kind of comedy song and nobody it, we just couldn't escape that. And I guess ultimately what I'm saying is maybe 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 we find that thing one day. Maybe deep cuts is that thing. Maybe deep cuts because it's so big that <laughs> nobody ever gives a fuck about these comics we make.
2: Yeah, well, yeah. The good yeah, thing yeah. about audio podcasts. No one's going to pull up any podcaster on the street and be like, can you say that sentence again? Ooh. Like at least our image isn't tied to it in a certain respect.
0: But I think these things that we're talking about, they, they, I think they are functionally and structurally, they have limits and I don't think that they could ever become that thing that like eclipses anything else we're trying to do. I, they could only serve as gateways, I think.
1: I think part of that too is, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying, but I th- I would offer that there is there is a version of being a creative person where you don't see success with the passion projects or the the more pure artistic expressions that you devote your time to. And you do see a reaction with things like Shitty Watchmen or Sandlerton or these kind of like mashup culture. You know, we're going to take two intellectual properties and shove them together and that Fundament it, it becomes your 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 calling card in a way that's Internally mandated as opposed to externally mandated where you start only coming up with solutions Based off of the things that you know have worked in the past and I can personally testify that Every time I'm at a convention and I have shitty dark night and shitty watchmen on the table the second question somebody asks after is this the whole thing is what's the next one and I very easily could have just made shitty fantastic four shitty Deadpool shitty Star Wars comics shitty fucking Batman like all of those things I I could have done that and I would have probably made more money than doing what I'm doing which is you know making my own comics telling my own stories and there are certain people who I I just you see them on the convention circuit and you see them on the internet doing the you can tell they're now chasing the dragon because they've had a taste of it you know. Um yeah there's a there's a sta- Oh go ahead.
2: I mean like ultimately you know uh anybody that's making anything like Like the only advice I can give anybody, and I shouldn't be giving anyone advice, but here goes: uh, is like just keep making shit. You know what I mean? You'll find if if you make good stuff, uh, not everything you make uh, is going to resonate. But you know, make the shitty whatever, and make the other thing, and make the other shitty. I'm not telling you to take another shitty end that project when you want to end it. But I'm saying, like, (laughs) there is no. No one is telling you, you have a finite amount of projects you can do. You have a finite amount of time to do the projects, but like, yeah, I could make Sandlerton. And I also, you know, Andrew saw uh, my dramatic reel to put me in another comedy video, but I'm saying like, I don't just do comedy videos. You know, I don't, you know, I have a VO booth over here to do like legitimate uh, voiceover auditions. You know, I audition for, for legitimate, you know, Projects, some of them comedic, some of them very not comedic. But on top of that, I do silly TikToks and I do Sandlerton. And when people are like, hey, Matt, you want to do this silly project? I usually say, yeah, because if they ask me, we're good friends. And if we're friends, we probably like what the other person does. So, you know, I don't like to think of it. I don't like to think of anything that limits me. I don't like to think that my silly projects, I don't think that anything I do takes away from anything else I do other than my time which as a as a parent is limited. So I I definitely have um you know taken on less on my plate, but that's the only thing I worry about is the time, not not really the selection of projects as long as uh, I have room for it in my schedule.
0: Yeah. I mean in terms of the thing you said about chasing the dragon Dave, uh, well first of all, so kind of similar to that what you're talking about, there's there's this there's this stand-up comedian Who's sort of been on the internet for a couple of years now, just kind of in this last five years of like just the rise of Facebook and YouTube and Instagram as these like content destinations and the way that viral video has evolved where essentially like several years ago, he, he, he had a video. I mean, he's just a stand-up comic and he does, he has a routine and blah, 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 blah. You post videos online and so on and so forth. And then he had a video go viral where he basically like owned a heckler where a video of him, yeah. Yeah, I I definitely know who this is, yeah. Yeah, a a video uh, where someone's heckling him and then he just like owns them. And that video went viral. And essentially he did exactly what you're saying, where he like shifted his entire brand to become the guy who owns hecklers. So now he has all these videos that go viral all the time where it's just like, comedian owns racist audience member comedian owns blah, blah 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 and they get increasingly more like uh social justice see uh and i i don't mean to say that in a negative way but it is kind of a negative way because there's like cl- an seo
2: tactic yeah
0: it's an seo tactic and they're clearly fake they're clearly staged because it's like How is this this guy? This guy would have to be the most unlucky comedian of all time that he gets heckled by the worst human beings at every show that he has. He has like he has the worst racist fucking people at all of his shows, just like following him, just ready to yell at him so that he can film some hot content. And I also happen to know literally that they are fake because a friend of mine knows him. Um, But I don't even need to know that. I don't even need to know the real truth to know that they're fake but he that that's what he did he turned his whole brand into like i'm not a stand-up comic anymore fuck my jokes i just put out video after video of me ranting at these audience members and like owning them
2: okay so but okay so like if we take that um justification right so have either of you seen mitch hedberg's like early 80s sets like or maybe late 80s i don't i maybe i'm
0: i'm assuming where you're going with this is that he didn't initially start off with a bunch of one-liners and so no he had I,
2: one-liners his delivery was just like if i said it
0: yeah like I, so like I, I heard i haven't because i've definitely only seen his what what we think of mitch hedberg as
2: Yeah. And I mean, this isn't SEO or or geared toward, but like he was playing around with this comedy. He had the joke, you know, he has a joke saying, oh, don't you hate when you get a flyer? It's like I give it to you and you say, here, you throw this away. That's the gist of the joke. But there's video of him in like the early, I don't know what year it is, but before he decided to do a persona. Where he tells the joke just like that, you know what I mean? And it's pretty good. It's a one liner, you know, and if you say it relatable, but when he does it and is like, hey, you ever get a flyer from a guy? And it's like, here, you throw this away. You know what I mean? But he developed that because he was trying things, he was experimenting. And when he did that, it hit and he leaned into it. So... I don't know if I can really, because s- when it's SEO, it feels a little cheap, doesn't it? But well, I mean, that's, know, that's that is Mitch, what Mitch, we're that's doing. That's Mitch
0: Hedward finding his voice as as opposed to faking staged hecklings.
2: That's true. But I'm saying like if he just became a person that did more crowd work and he didn't stage it, you know, if he just became more of a Don Rickles type comedian, I'd be OK with it.
1: But I think there's, yeah, I mean, I think there is a distinction between someone maturing and growing as an artist and someone who is objectively working at a high level of skill, choosing to attempt to appeal to the broadest possible base, sans any sort of um, good taste, you know what I mean? Like, I there's a, there's a version of that Chasing the Dragon, just again to go back to comics, of there are brilliant illustrators who have stopped making sequential pages because comic books take a long time and they just make pinups of Captain America's ass. You know what I mean? And like that is probably paying their rent where they probably wouldn't have been able to pay their rent off of their deeply personal, you know, indie comics. But for me, as somebody who cares about the medium, I weep. I weep for the stories that are never going to be told be, you know, because people love Kylo Ren's abs, you know? It's just like, I get what you're doing and I guess kudos to you, but that just is so cowardly. And I don't know that that's necessarily even the same conversation that we're having about this kind of like the shitty Watchmen and Sandlerton of it all. But more the next step removed from that after the glow of Sandlerton and shitty Watchmen has dissipated, trying to replicate that and not quite succeeding, but also not failing. And so you just stay in this kind of like permastasis of creative reinforcement of the status quo, if that makes any sense.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, that that's what it is. It's like, as long as you creatively, like if you creatively felt like you wanted to make another shitty thing, like outside of whether it did well, like you, you had the spark and you were like, Oh my God, I saw this comic. I've got like a concept of how it could be shitty. And that's really funny to me. And I really want to do it. That'd be different than like, Oh yeah, it sold a lot of books. So let's You know, when it comes from that point of view, the content's going to be bad. Like if we tried to make, uh, Lay Mis Michael Shannon, I think that would uh, <laughs> actually, wait a minute. Kinda, wait a minute. You, tried, you tried
0: to come up with a bad idea and then you just determine what we're going to spend the next six months of our lives doing.
2: Listen, anything that isn't an operetta basically would be much easier to do because you only have to do the songs and it's more like 35, 45 minutes than two and a half hours. I don't think we're going to get a, a longer one.
1: Well, the other, the other, other, the other thing that we haven't talked about was, and I don't even know if you mentioned this to Matt Andrew but when when the initial kind of spike happened of the like 15,000 downloads a day you had talked to me about maybe maybe doing like the spiritual sequel to Sandlerton. do you do you remember what that was do you remember having this conversation
0: yeah no i mean i i i did talk to matt about we, we i kicked around ideas cuz i mean my my ca- almost counterintuitive to what we were just saying about chasing the dragon and all this stuff whenever this started happening i definitely was like how do we capitalize off of this <laughs> like, like, <laughs> like that was that was definitely where my mind went was like should we do another thing and it wasn't it wasn't a question of should we it was a question of do we do another adam sandler singing something thing or do we do another voice singing hamilton like it was just like what was the fork in the road and i i definitely talked about that a little bit with matt but ultimately like lack of time and I will not do Hamilton as yeah.
2: anything. <laughs> that, that was a one-time project. Oh, I was so I was so I think it was I think the halfway point was definitely like a um a morale boost, but I think before I hit the halfway point, probably the like two third no that would be more than halfway i don't know somewhere between a fourth and a half is when i was like oh my god what have i done
1: but there was also but you're leaving out that it it, yes those those ideas were mentioned but the thing you had talked to me also yeah i don't remember i don't even remember what you're talking about necessarily so the thing you had talked to me i'm shocked that i remember this and you don't because my memory is dog shit usually um the thing you had talked to me was about doing a series of pseudo you know kind of adjacent intellectual property musicals where there had been, like, you were th- thinking, like, oh, maybe we would do, like, RoboCop the musical or, like, Terminator 2 the musical and we would, like, make musicals off of other things that would be kind of parody ish kind of.
0: Yeah, I do remember that now.
1: Which is, a, I think that's a really great idea, yeah.
0: The idea is, like, how many times can you can you go back to the well of this absurdist, like... Dadaistic, hypnotic joke where the whole joke is like, it's just the whole thing sung by this person. Like, I feel like I wouldn't really, I just don't think that would work a second time. So then it's like, that's not going to work. But we do have this audience of people who are like, in theory, into musicals. So maybe then we pivot and do original musicals where it's original music and, but still about some kind of known thing, like you like you were saying, RoboCop or whatever
2: yeah and i think like the there that does exist at least maybe not in the podcast space but definitely in like la theater there is definitely uh inner intellectual property yeah intellectual property the musical i mean if it's done well it's done well but uh but um yeah you definitely be in a bigger pool of of content Maybe hot pepper Sandlerton. So I'd have to memorize the entire musical to do it uh, in one take and I'd eat increasingly uh, spicier peppers. That's like mashing two different internet things together. I hate
1: hot peppers. I would never do that. Welcome to welcome to hot chicken wing Sandlerton <laughs> where where that's just that's just like sad.
0: That's just us, like, in our, just in our, like, 50s, just sad, trying to capitalize off of, like, the one little shred of fame we ever experienced.
2: Yeah. Just being like. Comedian owns, comedian owns misogynist while eating spicier hot wings. (laughs) (laughs) And every time he says the word you, the movie speeds up 5%.
1: But it's a podcast where we watch that video one second at a time every day for a year yeah oh boy (laughs) what hell are we in
0: um but yeah i mean but you know to to sort of to sort of round that out of what you're saying dave i will say with all your with everything you've you're you're saying about the the chasing the dragon and this idea of like experiencing experiencing the success with a thing and you sort of like internally can canonize it as like you know how do i follow up on this or trying to follow that and And continue to continue to iterate on it to capture that success again and again, as opposed to following your own creative pursuits in a way that you want to. Like, I'm not going to tell these original stories. I'm just going to try to keep the beach ball of what shitty Watchmen was up in the air. Uh, The one thing I'll say about that is, you know, I, I I've gone so I've gone so deep into that into that world. I've gone so I've become so snowblind at times with that concept that I've gone so far into it that I've almost come out of the other end of it because, um, you know, and I and I'm sure you've experienced this as well, Matt. But there's sort of two things that I've sort of experienced creatively that have really almost like put these blinders on me or put my put my creative Um, identity on rails in a way that at first I kind of didn't realize was happening. And then as time went on, I kind of started becoming aware of it and started to resent it. Um, And one of those things is I feel like all of all of those years that I spent training at all these different comedy theaters and taking these classes and learning the structures of like sketch and all these and performing an improv and learning all these rules and like how to escalate a game and all these things. Um, you know, that they're, they're good tools, but I, but I feel like you can sort of in learning that stuff, you can sort of lose your way and you can almost, it can almost sort of like, it can, it can almost sort of, um, limit what you what 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 you do and the and how you experiment with the things that you're doing because you just become so focused on like this is the way that you do this these are the thing these are the rules of this and these are the rules of this and this is how and especially whenever you have the allure of like getting on to house teams and things like that where you're you're all you're all everything you do is an audition to do that and then you can sort of lose your way and you stop number one you might stop having fun with it but even if you're still having fun with it you're still following a path of what you think is supposed to be done as opposed to, um, you know, just what you want to do and taking weird risks and things like that. You stop, you stop risk-taking because you're just auditioning for some expectation of what you want to be doing. And then the other thing is, you know, just in, just in my day job of what I do, uh, you know, because of this dichotomy where in my personal creative life, I'm into very weird experimental things but my day job is literally figuring out how to make viral videos that appeal to like the lowest common den- denominator there's definitely a, a period of my life where i've the learnings that i t- took away from my day job infected my personal creativity where you just become obsessed with like oh like this would this would go viral if i did th- if i pulled this lever and this lever and if this thing was like this and if this thing was like this and you start formatting everything in that way and you start – everything you make starts to have that in mind of like you're building it from the ground up with this goal in mind of like your understanding of how things appeal to a large base of people, how to game algorithms, how to do X, Y, and Z. And even Sandlerton had a little bit of an element of that where I was I was putting – I was I was adding a few variables in an attempt to game algorithms and – and um, appeal to people's emotional sensibilities and things like that. Um, and I feel like I've gone so far into those pursuits that I've come out on the other side of it and recognized what I was doing and recognized how those things were sort of like limiting me in what I was in what I what I was making. And you know, I I guess I guess ultimately my optimistic endpoint of that is you, know, you talked about the fear of getting lost in that and. Just spending the rest of your life keeping the plate spinning and trying to make the next shitty Watchmen thing that would resonate with people in a way that your weird, you know, personal stuff isn't. But what I will say is that for, for many years, I got focused on that and everything I was making was too closely implementing those, those learnings that I had taken away from those two different sources And I feel like for a long time, those things didn't, nothing was resonating Um, or, or maybe it resonated a little bit, but nothing resonated in that big way that, you know, the things that I was doing at work were. I was never able to capture the massively viral things that I've worked on in my, in, in my day job with my own personal things. Um, And it wasn't until we, it, it wasn't until I threw all of that away. And I said, we're going to make something that is just exactly what we want it to be. No compromises, no thinking about how it's going to resonate with this or how it's going to gain the algorithm with that. We're just going to make something that is just exactly what thing we would want to exist in the world. And it was this podcast. And that was that's those are the rules that we went into this with was we're just going to make a thing that is just exactly what we want it to be. And we don't care what anybody thinks of it or whether it's well-suited for an algorithm or whatever and letting all that go and just making something that we want to make. It's, 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 it's resonated in ways that all these other things where I was trying to follow these templates didn't. And it's the first thing it's the, it's, it's the, it's the first thing really that I've worked on in a long time or maybe ever that has actually gone over the top and, and, resonated with a lot of people and we've really built a big thing around it. So I get that that's my optimistic sort of final thought on that is like I got I went so far over the Pac-Man screen to the side that I came out on the other end and I was like oh shit like that was that was what I was doing and I was sort of I got I went off on this path of this wild goose chase of trying to do all these things. I let go of that. I embraced just doing something that was just purely, you know, my own creative vision. And it worked.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree uh, in that compromise is the devil. And on that note, I'm Dave Baker. And I'm Andrew Price. And I'm Matt Harbert. Uh, this has been Deep Cuts. You can find me on the Internet at HeyDaveBaker.com where you can find comics Like uh, Shitty Watchmen, Shitty Dark Knight, Fuck Off Squad, my coming-of-age romance comic, and Action Hospital. Uh, Matt, where can people find you on the internet?
2: Uh, MattHarbert.com, H-A-R-B as in boy, E-R-T, or uh, for the, yeah, I'm focusing a lot on TikTok just because it's fun and I'm in a pandemic. So MattHarbert5, because there are four other motherfuckers. (laughs) Andrew, where can people
0: find you on the internet? How do I do one of these things for a story about myself? You can find me in a garage recording a podcast right now. And you can also find me at dapricerights.com where you can get my book, Deadbolt, AI Private Eye. You can also listen to Sandlerton, a Adam Sandler musical, which is all two plus hours of Hamilton, an American musical, sung by Matt doing a very good Adam Sandler impression by by searching Sandlerton on Google and it'll come up or on your podcast platform of choice or link in the show notes of this episode. Uh, you search for Hamilton if it was sung entirely by Adam Sandler.
3: I'm your man. You'll be back soon, you'll see. You'll remember you belong to me. You'll be back, time will tear. you so remember that I served you well. where oceans rise, empires fall. We have seen each other through it all. And when pushed, Comes to show, I will send a fully armed battalion to remind you of my love. Have a good day. Yabby, dippy, dippy, baby, dippy, 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 yeah, baby. It is subject, my sweet subject, subject. my loyal, loyal subject forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. You'll be back like before. I will fight the fight and win the war. For your love, for your praise And I'll love you till my dying days When you're gone, I'll go mad So don't throw away the we had Cause when push <laughs> comes to show I will kill your friends and family To remind you of my love <laughs> Happy <Habit. laughs> Ya, I do with Ha, scooby scrub you a Oh, what Ya, do doo, do. Scrap down and do do do. do Oh, we do